You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to the Tennis.com podcast. We're here in the office in New York. I'm Ed McGrogan. Pete Bodo, Richard Pagliaro have joined me today um, to discuss, appropriately enough, on a hot day, the U.S. Open series, a series of events sort of known for sweltering conditions. But we're but we're kind of wondering really about what the U.S. Open Series, I think, has become since it's really its inception a couple, quite a few years back now. You know, the series has its jewels more at the end with the Canada Masters, Cincinnati Masters, leading into the Open, of course. You know, but over the years, I, th- I think, you know, in my opinion, this has kind of been eroded a little bit. Um, first, when you compare it, I think, against what has become a better and more competitive series, as you put it, Pete, the road to Roland Garros, the the route to Roland Garros for the for the French francophones out there. So why don't you, you know, we were talking about that before this podcast. You know, what do you see as the main difference between these two series now, even though one of them has kind of marketed itself that way and one of them is just, you know, a collection of great tournaments, basically? Well, I think the French kind of has it made um, just, you know, geopolitically in a sense you know they come at the just at the beginning of spring everybody the everybody's fresh they're clay court tournaments they're played in relative proximity to each other i mean europe is relatively small compared to the u.s and so it really all makes sense and if you look at the weeks it really is pretty much all pretty much all of april and may and and right into right into second week in june or june 10th or so is when a french open and so you know you would you would you would think that would be hard to sustain that amount of tennis but I think also the fact that their clay courts really help. I don't know if you, you know how you feel about that, Rich, but I mean I think they're, um, you know, it's it's easier on a player's bodies. Whereas the U.S. hard courts now, brutal heat, hard courts. It's a it's a tough ask, especially with players, top players anywhere, reducing their schedules. Hard courts getting somewhat of a somewhat of a bad name, I think, in recent years. You can point that really at Nadal, and but it, but you know many players I think have have sort of. Uh, Clay has just become this catch-all service where we've seen actually some of the best tennis in recent years, too, on clay. You know, we don't usually, you know, what's a memorable Toronto final or a Cincinnati final? I mean, there are some examples for sure. Djokovic, when he went through Cincinnati in 2007, he beat Roger Nadal. You know, but I think more of these epic matches we've seen on clay over the years, not just the French, but in Rome, Monte Carlo, you know, this is where we're seeing some of these, some of really by the end of the year, we, t- we go back to that part of the year and, and look back with reverence about it. Um, you know, has the, has the Open Series in your mind, Rich, lost any appeal in any way? I, I think not just in comparison to that, but really over the past few years where there's been just simply less tournaments in the U.S., we've, the country has lost a number of events to other nations, just, you know, the, the way the economics of the sport have gone. Yeah, I, I think that's that's true. I think for the fan, it's for the American fan, it's still great just because of the standardization of knowing every week you could see tennis on TV. But I think Pete's right on target, and also as American men have sort of receded from the top you know, 10, top 15, top 20, you know, more Europeans at the top, they're naturally going to want to play in Europe. It's just less travel. And I also think attrition, you know, the U.S. Open comes at the end of a long year. These guys are already kind of banged up. And then, you know, you're asking them to go out and toil in the heat and humidity and bang up their bodies even more before the Open. And I think a lot of guys are cautious about that. The encouraging thing is, 
you know, the two best players right now, Djokovic and Murray and Djokovic, love the hard are hardcore players. And they're hardcore yeah. guys. They love the hardcore. So that's a good sign for now. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm not, I'm not in any way wanting to put the series down. I think we're just kind of speaking for what it is here. And and you know, Toronto or Toronto Montreal. I think that's always a very um, an event to look forward to because that's usually the first time you're going to see the biggest guys from w- before, uh, you know, the last time they played was Wimbledon. That's a little different this year, actually. And Cincinnati has actually, over the years, I think had some of the better finals in the U.S. in terms of in terms of play. But I think your point's well taken that, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a marathon run and, and the Open is really sort of a survival of the fittest way. But, but then again, we usually, almost like all the majors, the best players tend to always rise and, and do well at the open. And I wouldn't surprise me if that's the case this year too. Um, what I, what I wanted to mention about it being a little different this year is you have Federer and Serena now playing clay court tournaments this week in Europe. And um, you know, that you have to wonder if that speaks to sort of the, the appeal of this new summer clay court circuit in Europe, even though the clay court season, for all intents and purposes, passed us by a long time ago. And Pete, you wrote about that, so why don't, you know, maybe some of your thoughts on possibly the future of this, what you thought of that as a, for this year alone. This, to me, this was a surprise to hear either Federer or Serena playing in those tournaments. It's ironic, but there's nothing new under the sun. It really is true. I mean, you know, let's remember the U.S. the U, the the U.S. Open series at one point was heavy with clay court tournaments in Boston and in Kentucky and a couple of other places. Those original that was a big part of the tennis boom in the U.S. was Bud Collins commentating with Donald Della, player sure. agent, of course, sure. talk about a conflict of interest, commentating on these finals, Monday night finals, I think they were, mm-hmm. and you know Guillermo, Guillermo Vilas was cleaning up because there were clay court tournaments. You know, it's it's ironic at that time there was a big difference between the clay and the grass and the hard. Now, you know, the, those differences have shrunken down. And, and really, with Federer and Serena both playing clay events, now, granted, Roger just needs matches. But, you know, I think both of them also realize, Serena even said as much, that, you know, the, these days, given how slow the hard courts are, the clay is not a bad way to prepare for the hard courts. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a little bit of different movement, of course, but if you don't have a problem with the movement, like those two don't, you know, Serena, you never hear her complaining about the movement on clay. Roger never says, oh, well, I can't, you know, I slide too much, or I don't know how to slide, or I can't get my footing. Those guys are squared away. With with the foot with the footing transition issues from clay to hard, so you know really why not play them? So they have you know there are other reasons for both of them. I'm sure a nice big appearance check came in both of their mailboxes too for playing those tournaments. But yeah, it's a nice way to start your summer. It's a bit of a threat though, I think, to the American circuit because if that European circuit goes, you know, then you know the clay court there'll be a second clay court season after Wimbledon. It's a real possibility with so few. It's players. I mean, and and those events are you know. Hamburg, that was a very prestigious event, you know, not too long ago, of course, and and like you said, it, it's always a, it's always a challenge getting many of whom the top players of these days are from Europe to come over to the U.S. You know, right, pretty much right after Wimbledon. You know, the schedule now, in if you look at what's become of of the, uh, the string of hard court events, you know, it really starts in we have Atlanta, we have Washington D.C. There's no more. LA this year that you know that's been a big thing we've talked about before of the uh, the erosion of uh, events in California too going back to San Jose as well and then by that point you're pretty much right into um, Canada Cincinnati 
you know, there's now there's Winston-Salem for the men before the Open, and and then the U.S. Open right there. Um, so this, you know, the series has definitely morphed into something a little different over the past few years. Um, you're still going to see, I think, the majority of players who can perhaps strike at these events are, to no one's probably surprise, is the U.S. players. They're going to be the ones to, to um, you know can take advantage of possibly some lesser draws here. I mean, are there some players, Rich, maybe in your mind that over the summer, or maybe over this month of July in particular, you know, could benefit from a pretty nice run here? It's funny you mentioned Winston-Salem. Remember last year that isner uh Burditch was a great, yes. great match. So you think a guy like Isner, you know, that, that although he's had the knee problems and issues, that this would be the time for him to really, really turn it up if he's going to do that. And he needs um, it. Right, right. I'm intrigued by a guy like Raonic to see what, you know, we've kind of waited for him to break out. I'd like to see what, what he could do. And, uh, you know, as far as non-Americans like Del Potro coming off Wimbledon last, uh, you know, last month, and then also he had the great run last year, and I believe since he got to the semis. So I'd like to see what he, you know, brings to the table. I think it's a great opportunity for the younger Americans for the, the very reason you said, that the fields are not quite as competitive. But, you know, you miss events like Indianapolis used to have a really good event, and that was a great for guys like Taylor Dench and Epri, guys that were, you know, trying to sort of break through and, and to not have that and obviously not have LA is that one a, it, that yeah loss, the, RC, the RCA is one that definitely went by the wayside that right. was around for quite a while if I'm not mistaken absolutely yeah and um and it, you've even seen New Haven go up and down where it was combined and now they've but they usually get good women but it really depends upon you know on 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 how they perform prior to that because it's so close to New York where you don't want to risk you know, injury or burnout. What about someone we haven't mentioned yet that I think we were going to, Pete, uh, earlier this week was um, Sloane Stevens because she is going to come into this U.S. summer season um, after a nice rebound at Wimbledon, after a, a, a dip in play after her semifinal run at the Australian Open. And I think some people might want to say about her that you know, to her credit that she kind of really put that um, little lull behind her. There was a lot sort of on and off court, really, that didn't go right for Stevens. And she'll come in as a lot of spotlight. She'll be on the main courts pretty much everywhere she plays, I would think. And, you know, what, you know, what for, to me, the question I have to you is what constitutes maybe a successful summer for her? This, I think she's already overachieved this year I think in my mind she's still very young and um but what in your mind what's what's a good summer for Sloan Stevens one final in quarter of the U.S. Open or better uh that's what I would that's what I would look for basically I mean of course I'm not talking I don't mean to say that she should lose in a first round or that if she loses in the first round of three other tournaments it's okay but I mean that's what I'm thinking she needs to punch through a little bit better on these lesser events where she could actually where she can get to the final and then you know and then she has to do well on a big stage you know the really encouraging thing with her is that 
you know, she's showing signs of really being kind of a, a big game kind of a player. You know, she she really was in, in a terrible slump most of the spring, but you know, and you know, but she really pulled herself together yeah. during the Grand Slam yeah. season. Had a very good French Open, and then went and had a very good Wimbledon. So I think she's really, you know, if she can sustain that, if that, you know, that sort of big game mentality tells you something. So now if she goes into, you know, Bank West, I, I think she's playing at Stanford this year. Um, or into Cincinnati, one of those other warm-up tournaments. I think if she can punch through, maybe get to a final, um, you know, win a couple, win at least a couple matches everywhere, she'll be in very good shape going into the Open, and I like her chances there. And mm-hmm. she seems more focused from what I saw of her at Wimbledon. She seemed a little adrift mentally leading up to that, where she just Absolutely. really wasn't sure how she wanted to play, what she wanted to do. And look, she played Hampton first right out of the box at Wimbledon. That was a tough match, and she came through that convincingly, I thought. I thought she really really turned a corner there, you know, at Wimbledon. And she had chances in the Bartoli match, you know. Let me let me end, actually, on you, Richard, a little bit. You One guy you mentioned just now, Del Potro, and I think of him, <clears throat> in a way, he's a uh, a person of the U.S. Open Series who, who made quite a bit of, hey, there, years ago, he won a number of tournaments in a row in the summer heading into the Open. He obviously won his one Grand Slam at the U.S. Open, um, and, and he said at the time the U.S. Open was always his favorite major. I remember him sit for for a guy from Argentina to say that that was a big, you yeah, know, a big it's, deal. Yeah, it's he's he's always done well in, in North America, that's for sure. And um, and obviously what we just saw of Del Potro and Wimbledon giving, Joke, playing that great match with Djokovic, yeah. and um, you know Pete's written about him a little bit, and actually pretty recently, kind of what we may or may not see or expect from Del Potro if he's ready in some eyes to to finally say he is back, if you will, and really consistently contend against his contemporaries up he's in the top He's had so five. many tough losses against big guys. That guy, he's really going to be dangerous. I mean, he's really come so close against big guys. He's been losing mainly to big guys. He's, he's about to almost like bust out again, it seems. What do you think about Del Potro's immediate future, I'd say. Right? I think it. the whole thing with him comes down to the health, where if he's healthy enough to put two, three solid months together, I I mean, I like him against just about anybody. And look, Djokovic has had his number for a while, but he gave Djokovic all he could handle there at Wimbledon. And I like the fact that even you saw in Indian Wells when he made the run, that it wasn't just slam, bam, I'm going to hit through everybody, where he was working the ball around, he hit the slice a little bit. He was showing you he's trying to sort of add the nuances and subtleties, and I still think for a guy six six, his serve can and probably will get bigger. And when that happens, you know, watch out. And he's still, still very, uh, still younger than everybody. Yeah, and he's athletic. I mean, he's a big guy that moves pretty well. You know, he really when he plays know. well, it, there's, it's tough to tough to find better tennis to watch actually right. it's very it's it's very good good theater and for a quiet guy you saw Wimbledon where he'd go into the first row give high five the fans he did that in New York erotic, the year. Yep. he does get the fans excited when he's engaged when he's playing well and it's almost more profound because he's so mellow and so quiet when you see him fist pump or yell it's almost like whoa the you know the giant is awoken it, it's almost more powerful to see it. Last word to you, Pete, on Del Potro. 
Anything Green, to add? Green Bay Packers power sweep. The old, you know, hey, the Packers. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know it's coming, but you can't you stop can't it. Stop. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. if that guy yeah. catches, if that guy gets his confidence and his health and everything in order, it's going to be a little bit like that on hard course, which is what he did in 2009. It's remarkable that it was 2009. He was, yeah. was like 21 years old. I don't think he'd even turned 22 yet, or maybe, maybe nope. he was even 20. He was just turned 20, I believe. Just turned 20. So that was remarkable. And that was, that was you know, sort of a foretaste. Now, I was sort of down on it for a while. They're thinking this guy, you know, he just, you know, caught a wave. He just had a great, you know, he was in the zone for two weeks and he won a tournament. But now it's starting to look again like he's getting back into that frame of mind. So watch out for him. Suddenly he's going to be on everybody's lips. And for a guy that hits that big, he doesn't have the peaks and valleys from the baseline. I'd like to say Soderling or somebody right. flat hitter. Like he's pretty consistent. I mean, some of those rallies with Djokovic, you're talking 25, 30 ball He's right there. Right there I mean, right he's not spraying with the, mo- the ball. With the movement, you know? too, yeah. Yeah, with movement. Yep, I exactly. mean, he's, he's a scary customer. That so guy. jump on a bag winning it now, folks. Join <laughs> us. We're yeah. going to be rolling into your town. Yep. That's, you, you could be if you're in one of about five towns this summer. Exactly. Um, thanks to Pete, Richard, for coming on. I'm Ed McGrogan. We'll be back next time with the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.